Hey, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to all of you watching online. And it was really great to be over in the venue worshiping with you. Jackie, thank you. Pastor Scott, thank you for all that you do over there to make that such a great gathering. Great crowd over there, by the way. Uh, so, um, in about 15 minutes, our series campus will begin their second pre-launch Gathering, and let's give the Lord a hand. Let's let's keep remembering that they uh, they got there early this morning, about six a.m. because they've got to get all the cribs out of storage. They got to take the cribs into a particular room where we have our babies. They got to take carpets, and they got to roll those into rooms for the uh, toddlers so they can crawl around on on carpet. They got to put the stage up. They got to put a sound system up. They, they, they got to do a lot of stuff to get that place all ready to go for, you know, God's people as they gather at 10 o'clock. And last uh, Sunday morning, it's just a pre-launch gathering, and, and maybe in the business world it would be called a soft opening. You, you don't let the community know. It's just our people, our leaders that were there. And there was uh, 170 people there, and new visitors were there last weekend. You know, it just, the word kind of leaked out, and people started showing up, and I have the feeling that'll be the case today and in the next few weeks as we do these pre-launch openings, as we get ready to, to kick it off, and told all the folks last night, and we just had a great time here last night, wow, it was crazy. Hey, 10 o'clock today, stop whatever you're doing. Stop watching the football game, stop, uh, you know, having breakfast, or whatever it is you're doing, and get up and make sure you're, you're praying. And so keep our series campus and all the leaders there uh, in, in your prayers. And I just want to let you know, I, I love, I, I just love my church. I, I, I love the, the, my family here. And one of the things that I, I love to do is I get emails and texts and a lot of private messages, hundreds of them a week. And uh, I like it when you tell me what's happening in your life. I know you can put it on a connect card, and I'm glad you do. But when you send me an email or a text or something, I always print those off, and I always spend time throughout the week. I, I get off of this campus because it's just, you end up doing things. People find you. And uh, I, I, I get off this campus and I have this little folder, and inside that folder are your emails, and I just spend time praying for you, praying for your family, praying for your children, praying for your parents, praying for your business, praying for whatever it is that you have sent me that email or that text about, and um, it, it really is uh, maybe one of the great highlights of my week is just to pray for you and some of the requests that you will send to me uh, personally and obviously then it leads me into a time where I'm just praying for all of us, all my church family as a, in general and anyway, I love all of you and it's always a, a privilege to show up on this campus. Look, when I get here, uh, there's already um, <laughs> hundreds of people who get here long before I do, who love the Lord and because they love the Lord, it spills over into a love for the church, and they're here setting their little rooms up, getting their Sunday school classes 
ready. Uh, they're out in the hallways fellowshipping. They're rehearsing their music or whatever all that stuff is. And I drive on to this campus and I see all the cars and it just brings me great joy to, to just be a part of such a, an incredible group of people. Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Job chapter 3. Okay, Job chapter 3. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, all the verses will come up on the jumbotron because we want you to, um, to be able to read the Word of God uh, for yourself. You can go into the altar room when we're done here over in the venue afterwards and we'll give you your own copy of uh, the Bible. We're in a series where we're going through this great book, this incredible book. Pastor Lonnie and I were talking uh, this past week. We always get together and we're discussing you know, Job and what we're learning and we both said the same thing. It's it, all the years that we've been in ministry, neither one of us had ever preached to the book of Job. And it was weird. It was just weird as we talked about it because this is such a fascinating book. We're all learning so much. And I know great things are happening in your life groups. You have a hundred life groups that are also, you know, some will meet tonight and all throughout the week. And you're studying the book of Job. And I, I got an email here. I just want to just read you. It kind of maybe captures what a lot of the emails I've been getting say. It says, Pastor Rick, I want to quickly share with you how thankful I am that you encouraged us to get into a life group. And there were three weeks when Pastor Joel and Lonnie and myself did our best to you know, encourage everybody to get into a circle, if you will. My husband and I are new to the church and didn't know anybody. We'd come every Saturday night, but that was it. In other words, we were simply attenders. But now, after only two weeks in our life group, we feel as if we truly belong to the church. We love the people in our life group and look forward to seeing them each week. My husband is having coffee this week with one of the other men in the group, which is an answer to one of my prayers. By the way, the book of Job is so, so sad <laughs> Yet so, so good. And um, man, I am thankful for all the hard work that Pastor Lonnie's team has put into all of these small groups. And here's the deal. I know that many of you, for the first time, got into a life group. And that was an awkward moment. When you showed up at a door, you didn't know anybody, you knock on it, door opens, and there's somebody you, you've just never met. And then it just got worse, right? You walked in and there's a whole room full of people you never met before. You didn't know them. And it is awkward. And there, there's no way that Pastor Lonnie or I can, can fix what's normal. Who's not going to feel awkward in that moment? Everybody is. But you know, you go back the next week. Oh yeah, that's right. And now three weeks into it, it's not awkward anymore. Now you'll know people, hey, good to see you. You walk in and, and by the time these 10 weeks are over with, I guarantee you, 99.6% of all these groups aren't going to want to end because now you know people. And so let me just encourage you, stay, stick with it. Stick with it, even though I know the first couple of weeks have been somewhat awkward, okay? So... 
Before I get into chapter three, let me uh, get us all on the same page, okay? Let, let, let me give you the basic overview, if you will, of the first two chapters, all right? That way we're all, all together. N- n- number one is that Job is a, a very, very wealthy man. In fact, probably the wealthiest man, you know, on the planet at the time. He, he would have been much like, uh, I don't know, Bill, the Bill Gates of his day. He was super wealthy. But not only was he wealthy, but he, he was also a very godly man. He was a man that was very faithful to the Lord. He, he cared about the things of God. And somehow all of his wealth didn't get him off track. And that often happens. In the New Testament, we, we, we see many warnings of how wealth can get you all goofed up at times. That didn't happen to Job. So the first thing we learn is, is that Job's a wealthy man and he's a, he's a very godly man, very pious man. Number two, God uh, allowed Satan to inflict Job with great pain and suffering. God allowed it. And this pain and suffering came uh, by him losing literally all of his wealth in one day. He lost it all. This pain and suffering came uh, by by God allowing Satan to to kill all 10 of Job's children in one day. This pain and and suffering came in chapter 2 when God allowed Satan not only to take all of his wealth and to kill all of his kids, but but now he's got boils literally all over his body, these sores and and we last saw him, you know, sitting in an ash heap. He's basically, you know, on the outskirts of town, if you will, um, you know, sitting in a pile of, you know, trash. And he's got pottery, broken pottery, and he's just scraping his sores. It's a pathetic scene. And number three, through all this pain and all this suffering that Job went through, he honored the Lord through it all. And I think those three things kind of get us all on the same page, where we've been so far. Godly man, wealthy man, goes through just a lot of really crummy things. God allows it, and yet through it all, Job is faithful to the Lord. He, he honors the, 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 the Lord. Now at the end of chapter two, we're introduced to uh, three of Job's friends, okay? Uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Uh, chapter 2 says this, uh, verse 11. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered. So these three guys had heard about Job losing all of his wealth. They'd heard about Job, you know, losing his you know, kids. And, and they'd heard about, you know, Job's health just going right out the window. They heard about it. They got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and and Zophar. And and, and the reason why I I bring these three guys up is because you need to remember them. I, I want you to circle their names, underline their names or whatever in your Bibles, because these three guys are gonna come up in the in chapters four and and following. These four guys, or these three guys, are, 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 are kind of major characters, if you will. And we're going to learn a, a lot, I, I think, through these three guys. So kind of keep them in mind, right? So, 
With this said, Job chapter three, look, look, look at verse one. At last Job spoke, lost his, 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 his wealth, his flat broke kind of a thing, doesn't have anything. Kids are gone, buried, dead. He, he, he's now, you know, lost his health, is just sitting in an ash heap, scraping himself. It's this horrible, pathetic sight. He's got his three friends kind of sitting with him. And now... He's going to talk. He's he's got got something to say. He cursed the day of his birth. Now it's important to understand something as we walk through Job chapter 3, which is, by the way, maybe the darkest chapter in all of the Bible. This is a really, really, really dark chapter. Really dark. I want you to understand that there's a huge difference between cursing God or blowing God off or walking away from God and cursing the day that you were born. Those are two different things. They're not the same. By the way, Job isn't the only person in Scripture that has made a speech like this. The great prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 20. He said, yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at birth. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Thought back, there was one moment in my life. It was about about two days where I felt exactly like Job felt, and I felt exactly like the prophet Jeremiah felt. One time in my life, for about two days. Look at verse two. Job said, let the day of my birth be erased. And the night I was conceived, let that day, his birthday, be turned to darkness. Let it, that's his birthday, be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and other utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it, his birthday, and let the darkness terif- you know, uh, uh, terrify it. Let that night, the night that I was born, be blotted off the calendar, Never again to be counted among the days of the year. Never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. 
Let those who are expert at cursing, whose cursing could rouse you know, the Leviathan, curse that day. Let its morning stars remain dark. Let it hope for light, but in vain. May it never see the morning light. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Welcome to church. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came? Job's in a really bad place, right? This is a dark, dark time for Job. How many of you have ever heard that old saying by Alfred Lloyd Tennyson that goes like this? Better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. In other words, it's better to have experienced love and all the wonderful things that go along with love, all the emotions and all the goosebumps and all those wonderful things, but also experience the bummers of love, which means you lose your love, than to have never experienced love at all. Not according to Job. He would not have agreed with that great quote. <laughs> he felt like it would have been better to have never been born. He felt like it would have... You know, just been better to have never experienced all the wonderful things that his wealth had allowed him to accomplish in life. He felt like it would have been better to have never experienced all the joy that his 10 children brought him over the years and decades than to have experienced it and then, you know, be sitting in an ash heap scraping his body with, you know, pottery, if you, if you will. Here's the deal. Oftentimes when you're in pain or when you're suffering, you say and do things that you later regret, right? Well, this is exactly what's happening to Job. The pain and the suffering and sorrow was so great that he can't even think about all the blessings that his wealth and his children brought to him over the years. That one moment in my life was a number of years ago. My wife, my first wife, had died in a car wreck. And there were, there were two days where I can remember curled up in the corner of my home saying, God, why was I born? Oh, God, why am I here? God, this isn't worth it. Literally, I, I was crying that out, like out loud. And one of the things that I had forgotten because of the pain and the sorrow was that I had a five-year-old at the time. The pain and the sorrow and the suffering was so great, I, I couldn't remember any of the blessings. And so God, hey, I, I'd rather just go home, man. Uh, if the rest of my life is going to be like this, where I can't sleep and my guts hurt so much from crying, I can't even get any more tears out of my eyes because it's just all gone. I, I, I don't have any more liquid in my system. Take me. And one of the things that the Lord did was he re reminded me, hey, you got a five-year-old. And that five-year-old needs you. 
So you, you think it'd be better if you were gone, but now things will be a whole lot worse for a five-year-old. There'll be a whole lot more pain and sorrow and suffering in your sphere of influence if, if, you know, if I take you away. This was one of those George Bailey moments. It's a wonderful life. George doesn't want to live anymore. He gets to learn what would have happened if he hadn't been born. Now in the next verse, Job's going to move from wishing he had never been born to wishing he had been born dead or wishing he had been stillborn. Look, look, look at verse 11. Why wasn't I born dead? He's moving on. Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I had died at birth, I'd now be at peace. I'd be asleep and at rest. I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers whose great buildings now lie in ruins. I, I would rest with princes and rich in gold, those whose palaces were filled with silver. Why wasn't I buried like a stillborn child, like a baby who, who never lives to see the light? For in death the wicked cause no trouble, and the weary are at rest. Even captives, even slaves are at ease in death with no guards to curse them. Rich and poor are both there, and the slave is free from his master. Man, Job's in, in so much pain that in his mind, dying is just way sweeter than, than living. And by the way, just like Jeremiah cursed the day he was born, like Job did, there have been many godly people that have wanted to die. Some of our heroes of the faith. Listen to what Moses said in Numbers chapter 10. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents, whining. <laughs> and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these whining people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give my ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us some meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Wow. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. That was Moses. Now his pain and sorrow and suffering are way different than, than Job's, but obviously this was a heavy burden. Just dealing with whining people. First Kings chapter 15, Elijah said this after hearing that Jezebel was coming after him. It says, then he, that's Elijah, went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. <laughs> it's a great prayer. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. 
great prophet Jonah said this in Jonah chapter four. Now, O Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. A A lot of the heroes of the faith have had moments in their life where they thought to themselves, wow, this just ain't worth it, man. I'd rather just be home (laughs) with you, Lord. I want you to notice that none of these people, Job or Elijah or Moses or Jonah, ever consider taking their own lives. Job never considers uh, or thinks about suicide, never. In fact, if he wanted to kill himself, he could have. There was nothing stopping him. You see, Job understood that God was in control of everything. God controlled when a person was born, and, and he knew that God controlled the day a person died. And he's simply asking God to take care of this one since you already let this one happen. All Job is doing in these verses is thinking about all the the good things that would come if he was gone, if he were to take his last breath. But he never considers suicide, never. Look at uh, verse 20. Oh, why give light to those in misery? Why why, why you got me alive? I'm dying here with all these boils on me. That's a great question, by the way. I remember when my mom was dying. Man, she was in, a, in hospice care for weeks. Couldn't eat, couldn't drink. She looked like a skeleton. Man, why? You ever thought that? What's the point? Why are you keeping her heart beating, God? She can't talk, she can't hear, she can't speak. She can't do anything. She's in misery. Verse 21, they they long for death and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than, than hidden treasures. They're filled with joy when they finally die and rejoice when they find their grave. Why is life given to those with no future? My mom had no future. She wasn't getting out of that bed. Why is she alive? You see what Job's saying? A baby that's, that's born with all kinds of birth defects. God! What kind of future is that? Why do you, why do you let, why do you let, you know, someone like that live? What's the point? You, you see? That's what he's saying here. So Job begins with wishing he's, he'd never been conceived. He wishes his parents had never had sex. Then he moves to wishing that he'd never been born. And then he moves to wishing he had, you know, if he had been born, why couldn't he have been born dead, stillborn? And now he's wondering why people just can't die when they're ready to die. Look at verse 24. I cannot eat for sighing. Oh, man. I don't know, somebody gave him a cheeseburger. 
Just wanna, just wanna die. Oh, hold on, hold on. You need to eat something, Job. Oh, why, why wasn't I born dead? You can't eat. He's skin and bones right now. I mean, this is a man who's just beaten down. He says in verse 25, what I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. And I want you to know those are two interesting verses. What's happening to him is something he feared. He thought about this. I've, I've thought about some things, you know, hey, you know, God, I'd like to die like this. I don't want to die like this. Mm. I fear dying like that. God, you know, I, I, can I die like this? Because I, I, this really freaks me out to think I'd die like this. I don't want a shark taking my leg and then, you know, and another leg. And then, you know, I'm out there floating around and sharks are just nipping at me. I, I don't want that. He, he, what's happening to him, he had thought about, and it's what he feared. He thought about it. Hmm, interesting. He, verse, and then he ends, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, only trouble comes. And so chapter three ends. As I said, it's a really, really dark chapter. I, I think the only other chapter in the Bible that's as dark or darker than this are the chapters in the New Testament uh, where Jesus is beaten and flogged and put on a cross. That's what we call Good Friday. Now, did you notice that Job never talked about why he was suffering? You notice that? He never talked about whether he deserved to suffer or not. He didn't talk about blame. He didn't blame God for his suffering. He didn't blame himself for his suffering. Now, there's coming a, a moment when he'll have a few things to say to God. But here in chapter 3, he simply wishes he had never been born. And he asks a number of questions that are, that are pretty good questions. Once you understand something, beloved, there's nothing wrong with asking God questions. I, 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 every day when I pray, I ask God a thousand questions. Hey, God, what about this? How come that? Why don't we do that? How come you let that? God, why is that? How about that? When I'm praying for you, God, why did you let that happen? God, I'm always asking him questions. Nothing wrong with that. You just have to be prepared for the fact that he may not answer you. Or he may answer you in a way you don't like. You see, he's under no obligation to answer your questions, but it's okay to ask them. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus, the Son of God, asked the Father, why hast thou forsaken me? If it's okay for Jesus to ask questions, it's okay for you to ask questions. Just, just be careful how you ask them. Do it in a reverent way. And understand, he might not answer you. Now, here's the one thing that, that I want to concentrate on, the, the, the one thing that I want to zero in on, okay, as I kind of bring the, you know, the plane you know, to, 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 to the ground. Just, just one thing, and that is this. What do you do when you're brokenhearted? What, what, what do you do when you're suffering or you're in great pain or sorrow? What, what do you do when life has kidney punched you? You, you, 
you may not have lost all your wealth and all of your kids, and you may not be sitting in, you know, the trash dump of Modesto with boils all over you, scraping, you know, them with pottery, but we all experience bummers. What do you do? Or more importantly, what would our Heavenly Father tell us to do? There's a lot of things the world will offer you. A lot of people just, man, give me a six-pack or a 12-pack, man. I get enough beer in me, man, that'll numb the pain. A lot of people do that. For some people, it's just, I'm going to go to work. I'm just going to become a workaholic. Work, 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 work. That way, I just, I don't have to think about all the pain and sorrow and the suffering. I'll just, I'll just go to work. For some, it's pornography. I'll just immerse myself in that and let that just make me forget about all the stuff going on in my life. Pills. For some, it's just, I'll just get super involved in my hobbies and that way I don't really have to deal with stuff. The world has all kinds of things that it will, you know, present to you as ways that you can deal with the problems. I, I, I want to end by telling you what God, God has to say. I'll give you a few thoughts here, okay? The, 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 the key to coping when you're suffering is this, is you've got to have the right perspective. Romans chapter 8 has some interesting information in it. It says this in verse 18. Paul said this. He said, I consider, and that word consider, underline it, circle it in your Bibles. That's, that's a crazy word. I consider, I, I analyzed, I calculated that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The word considered, as I said in the, in the Greek, literally means to, to, to calculate, to, to analyze, or to reach a settled conclusion by careful study and reasoning. Paul says, look, here's the deal. I calculated, I, I considered, I analyzed all of the suffering that I'm, I'm going through right now. I, I considered that against the glory to come It's not even worth comparing. Not even worth comparing. The key to coping with suffering is all in the way you look at it. It's having the right perspective because your perspective makes all the difference in the world. And I want to give you just three things that are a little bit more specific as it relates to our perspective when we're going through suffering. Okay, And the first one's this. You need to remember that your suffering is only temporary. Once again, look at verse 18 of Romans. He says, I consider that our present, and that's the next word I want you to circle or underline. He's, he's considering, he's, he's analyzing what's happening right now. I lost all my money. Lost my family. I got boils all over me. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your life, you, you put your own thing in there. I don't know what it is. I, 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 I'm looking at what's happening right now. And 
and understanding the fact that it's only temporary. Whatever pain you're going through, whatever suffering you're going through now, even if you have this problem for the next 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, some of you, bless your souls, maybe you were born with something and literally your whole life you've been dealing with it. And it's been painful. There's been a lot of suffering, a lot of sorrow involved, literally since the day you were born. Look, you may suffer with it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but it doesn't compare to forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Whatever it is you're going through, it's only temporary compared to forever. But it's hard for us because, man, Rick, are you telling me that this thing I got right now that I just was diagnosed with, I may have that for 10 years and may have to suffer with it 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. Once a month, I got a bad eye. If I do that, you, you know, you're all blurry. I'm sorry, I can't, I, 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 this eye has taken over. This eye right here is golden. This eye here is no good. Every, once a month, I go in and get a shot. Actually, it's a number of shots. And it's brutal. Brutal. I remember the first time I sat down on the chair, he did his whole thing, man. And he says, okay, hey, look, we're, we're gonna have to give you a shot. And I said, oh, man, you gotta be kidding me. I said, okay, listen, so do I set up, you know, the surgical wing, you know, do, or, you know, do we wanna, do, are we going to the surgery center? You know, is it, do I do this at the hospital in the actual hospital part? He goes, oh, no, I'm gonna give it to you right now. I said, what are you talking about? I gotta put a needle in my eye right now. I'm in a room, man. It's not even sterile. It's not, I, I, no way. Where are your gloves? I don't, I don't even know you. I just met you. You know, put a needle in my eye. It ain't happening, man. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, but don't worry about it because I'll numb it out. And I go, well, how are you gonna numb it out? Well, I'm gonna give you a shot. I go, well, what, what are you thinking? It's just, it's just it's dumb logic. And, and then you're sitting there and he puts a thing in your eye to hold your eye open. And, and then he tries to fake you out like he comes up the side, like you don't see it. No, I, once you got to here, I see it. You don't have to hide the thing. You could come at me like this. And, and, and I'll just tell you, for about 12 hours, it's just brutal, brutal. Headaches, my eye hurts, I'm in a bad mood. I'm just, it's crummy. And the news got worse. I basically got to do this the rest of my life. Every month. I remember when he said that, he goes, man, you know what? You need to come back next month. We, we, I said, well, how many times you got to do this? He goes, well, probably the rest of your life. Like, we, we put a guy on the moon? And you can't fix my eye? I got to come back here every month? You're going to do this every month. You're going to shoot me up every month in my eyeball. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what, that's a bummer. I have that date circled on my calendar every month. So, <laughs> wake up, wake up, it's a horrible day. It doesn't matter what's going on that day. It's like, oh man, it's a bummer. Just a bummer. 
But I'll tell you why. One of the things I do, you know what? I'm gonna have to do this for the rest of my life, but it's only temporary. It's only temporary. There's coming a day I won't have to, have to do that anymore. Which brings me to uh, number, number two. You need to remember that you'll spend your eternity in heaven with a brand new body. The first thing you need to remember when you're going through pain, sorrow, suffering is that, look, compared to eternity, it's nothing. But when you finally get to eternity, here's the good news. You're going to get a new body. Romans 8 says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And what he's saying there is this, is that, you know, in Genesis 3, when Adam and you know, sins, that sin entered the equation of life. And not only did it impact us, but it impacted creation. Creation has been marred because of sin. I often tell you how much I love Gerber daisies. I just think they're just unbelievably beautiful. In fact, I've got a couple at my house right now and just the red, beautiful Gerber daisy. But here's the deal. That Gerber daisy, as beautiful as it is, has been tainted by sin. I've never seen what a Gerber daisy is supposed to look like. All I've seen is a Gerber daisy that's been impacted by sin. There's coming a day when I get to glory, when I'll see a Gerber daisy that has not been impacted or marred by sin. He goes on and he says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. <laughs> There's coming a day when these bodies get redeemed. This body doesn't get redeemed here. It, it, it's, it's dying, it's decaying. And the older you get, the more you recognize that sin has impacted this thing. It's, it's fallen apart. Your soul has been redeemed, but this hasn't been redeemed. This is just going to die and end up in a pine box six or eight feet under the ground. It doesn't get to go to heaven. This, it just connects us to the physical. That's all this thing does. This is the headquarters of sin. That's why it doesn't get to go to heaven. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Obviously, the Holy Spirit in us is good. He's talking about the flesh. This thing is falling apart. My son has often said this to me. Hey, Dad, how long has it been since you trimmed the hair in your ears? Why? Well, because you can't hear very well. I, I've become... I've become the guy I used to mock. And I'll go into the, my bedroom and go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can smell now, you know. It's weird. My, my son has to remind me. You got hair coming out your ears, man. Now, I'm looking at some of you. Thank God I got hair. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, <laughs> 
So I, I, there's always someone worse off, I guess. I, you know. <laughs> Mark Clyerline was sitting right down here, one of our elders, and he runs our sports leagues around here. And man, when I first gave my life to Christ, back when I was 18, 19 years old, man, I played in softball leagues. Man, I'd run around, play Tuesday night, Wednesday. I just play, man, all the time. Can't do it anymore. Just can't do it. Uh, Saturday, we had our membership class. A bunch of new members joined the church. It was really great. I'm sitting right here, basically. <laughs> They're all out here. And somebody asked a question about sports. You have sports teams, da, da, da. I said, oh, yeah, we got softball, you know, whatever all that was. Uh, hop off the stage. I didn't let them know. Hopped off the stage. Just, whoop, I was sitting there. Whoop, pulled a hammy. It's just... It's just but I didn't, I didn't want the new members to know that their you know, pastor is just some lame guy. And so I, I'm just, I pulled my hammy just sitting off the stage. It's weird. Look, if you know the Lord, your soul's been redeemed, but your body hasn't. That doesn't come till you get to glory. You're going to get a new one. You're going to get a new one. Whatever the pain and sorrow and suffering is you're going through right now, it's only temporary, and there's coming a moment, beloved, when you get a new one of these. Got to keep that in mind. Especially as our bodies just get worse and worse and worse. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, he said, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his and have a body like his glorious body. There's coming a day. I, it's coming. You may have been struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with for, for decades. Maybe from the, your earliest memories. And I'm not trying to minimize the pain and the sorrow because it's real. But it's only temporary. And you're going to get a new body. There's going to come a moment when, you know what, no more needles. No more pharmaceutical companies. No more surgery centers. No more copays. No more hospital visitation, you know, hospice. None of that. Because these bodies will be free from sin. They'll be glorious, glorious bodies. And last but not least, number three, the third thing I want you to remember is you need to remember that God has a reason for allowing all the pain and sorrow and suffering you face. Yes, it's temporary. Yes, you're going to get a new body. But while you're here, understand that God's up to something. Romans 8 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, God doesn't take bad things and make a bad thing good. He just takes the bad things, the, the pain and the sorrow and the sufferings of life, and he uses them for his purposes. He uses them for his glory. He's, he's doing something in your life. There's a purpose behind what God allowed Satan to do to Job. There's a purpose behind Job losing all of his wealth and losing his family. There's a purpose behind all these boils and pain and sorrow and suffering. There's a purpose. 
Jesus was asked a, a great question in, in John chapter 9. He says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin? Or his parents' sins? Jesus said it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. And here's the next line that's really difficult. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. In other words, God allowed it to happen so that there would come a moment when God could display his glory through that circumstance. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Sometimes God allows things to happen, people to get sick or whatever, because he's gonna heal them so that the world gets to see his glory. This past week, Lonnie and I were talking, Pastor Lonnie and I, And I hope you get this. There was a moment when Jesus showed up to one of the disciples. His name was Thomas. And he said, Thomas, it's me. Touch me. Look, look, feel me. Thomas, let's have breakfast together. So he, there he is. Jesus was right there after he'd been crucified and resurrected. Thomas didn't believe. I don't believe you guys. They'd said, hey, we saw Jesus. I don't believe. So there he is. Jesus shows up. Here I am, Thomas. Wow. Here's what I want you to do if you can. Imagine you just woke up in the morning, Christian, sitting at your coffee table, having coffee. You're all alone. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, just like he did to Thomas. Whoa. Hey, really, it's Rexy, it's me, man. Oh, you're really Jesus? Yeah, actually, I'm telling you, it's me. Look, look, man, look, look. I'm telling oh, man. Oh, Jesus is great. Ma imagine. Man, Jesus, I can't believe. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Thanks for walking with me. Thanks, th thanks for all that you do to bring glory to my name. Man, I want you to know, all the stuff you're going through, it's just temporary. Hey, hey, listen, so you're going to get a new body someday. You're going to get a, oh, man, this is great. And then he says, hey, look, I need you to do something for me. Yeah, what is it, Jesus? Anything. Now, I love you, and I care about you, and, and, and I'm building a place for you, man. I'm, I'm up there building a place. Man, it's, I, I can't even explain to you what this place is going to look like. You're going to be there someday, but I need for you to do something right now for me. Yeah, what is it? Would you carry around cancer? because I'm gonna do something incredible with it. People are gonna see how you respond to it. The people you work with in the cubicle next to you, oh man, they're gonna see and watch you deal with this. The people you play golf with, wow, man, I'm gonna use it in their life in an incredible way. You know that lost relative of yours or that lost son you have? Man, they're going to watch how you go through this. They're going to see the glory of God in this. Would, would, would you do that for me? Now, he doesn't have to ask your permission. 
I guarantee us, all of us, if he was sitting right there with us, we'd say, whatever you need, man, whatever you need, you do whatever it is you want to do with my one life. However, I can bring the most glory to you. You, you go ahead and do it. And Jesus say, okay, now look, don't forget what you're going to go through. It's going to be crummy. It's only going to be temporary. There's going to come a moment. You're not going to have to deal with that cancer anymore. Oh, when you get to heaven, wow, you get a new body. But right now, while you're down there on planet Earth, I got a purpose for it. We're going to glorify the Father through all of this. You're going to have opportunities to talk to nurses and doctors and tell them things that they've never heard before. You're going to be able to post things on, on your social media about God's glory, even in the midst of all the pain and the sorrow and the suffering. People are going to see the glory of God in your life through all of this. People are going to come to faith through this. Christians are going to be encouraged through this. You ready to do it? You bet. You bet I am. Look, you're going through something. You got a family member who's going through something, whatever it is. You remember, it's only temporary. I don't care how long you got to go through it. It's only temporary, Christian. There's going to come a moment you're going to get a new one of these. New one. Brand new. And realize that whatever it is you're going through, God's got a purpose behind it. Just like he had a purpose behind a guy being born blind, there was going to come this moment when Jesus was going to heal him. And that one man's life, who was somewhat insignificant, a blind man back in that culture was like, like so insignificant, it was unbelievable. There was no ADA, there was none of that, you know, that stuff. And that guy, that blind man, his story is written in this book forever and ever and ever and ever. That's, that's how powerful his life was. God used him. God is using, here it is, 2000, you know, we're, we're in the 21st century. God's still using that story for his purposes and his glory. And God wants to use whatever it is you're going through for his purposes and his glory. And that's what he's doing in the life of Job. Okay, everybody in the venue stand up. Everybody here stand up. Let me pray, okay? And so, Father, uh, wow, just great time of sacred music. Thank you for Lonnie and his just setting up our time of communion. That was just really, really beautiful. Thank you for Scott over in the venue setting up communion and all that. Lord, thank you for the word of God. I'm glad that we have it, that we can learn from it. It gives us such practical things as we go through this thing called life. Give us a great afternoon, Lord, and I pray these things in your name. And all the God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.